Hello and welcome to this week's Grape Culture Podcast, the podcast where three women drink wine and discuss feminist literature and issues. I am Sam. I'm Kim. And I'm Alex. And we hope you enjoy the episode. On this week's show, we're going to be talking about The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which is a Netflix sitcom uh, that ran for four seasons and the finale aired about, it was a few weeks ago, wasn't it? it yeah, it's definitely recent. Yes, so we're going to be talking about the show, um, whether it is a feminist show, as some have said, or whether it is, like Friends, a problematic show, um, and what we all thought of it and the characters, really. But before we get into that, Kim, do you want to tell us about this week's wine? I will. So fans of Kimmy Schmidt will probably be able to guess what our wine is. <laughs> um, sing it with me. It's a Pinot <laughs> So I actually have, I have two bottles. Um, the first is, is sort of the, the, the slightly special one. I went to our local wine shop, Wolf Wine, again today and um, asked for a bottle of Pinot Noir. The only one that I could spot was this uh it's a czech pinot noir and mm-hmm. i've never had a czech wine so i was quite intrigued no, I don't think I i'm probably not going to try and pronounce the vineyard <laughs> we need to do the supercut of the mispronunciations vinastvi krasnahora there you go i, mean, I, I did it that's all right well done so this um this vineyard is a biodiverse uh wine again biodynamic um I don't have specific tasting notes for this Pinot Noir, which is the 2017. What I do have is um, their tasting notes for the 2016 and also a brief little um, spiel about the the wine region in the vineyard. So okay. if you don't mind, I'm no, just going to read it. that. Do your spiel. Mm-hmm. Do your so, Jessica spiel. Um, situated on the 49th parallel at the very limit of where grapes can be grown in Central Europe in the south- southeastern corner of the Czech Republic, we enjoy a cool climate viticulture with big differences between day and nighttime temperatures. Under these conditions, our wines have excellent aromatic expression along with mouth-watering acidity and freshness. Our vineyards are carefully tended by hand and biodynamic principles are implemented to produce grapes of the highest possible quality that express the terroir of our microclimate. The use of herbal teas and specially prepared composts and manures enables us to avoid using any synthetic herbicides, pesticides or fertilisers. Yields are carefully controlled to about 1.3 kilograms per vine in order to achieve the intensity and concentration of aromas and flavours that we're looking for. And I thought all that was really, really interesting. And yeah. I'm, I'm really getting quite intrigued by sort of biodynamic wine production. So I'm yeah, looking forward to now, yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to trying this. Cool. The previous year's Pinot Noir um, is described as subtle perfumes of roses, violets with cherries, with hints of earthy and woody tones. Red berry fruits are complemented by harmonious oak influence and long, clean, refreshing finish. I imagine that this will probably have a similar taste, given that it's a similar wine, but I could be entirely wrong. Harmonious oak influences sounds like a really posh rap collective. I think it sounds like. <laughs> It's like a mistranslation of a Pokemon manu- manual. Manual? Like Professor, manu- like <laughs> Professor Oak. Oh. Harmonious Oak influences. <laughs> anyway, so that's the um, Vinastvi Krasnahora Pinot Noir from Good. 2017, bought at Wolf Wine from, and all the way from the Czech Republic. Lovely. Cheers. 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 Smells good. Ooh, smells very, very berry-y. Tastes oaky. <laughs> Does it taste like, whatever it was, majestic oak? It wasn't majestic. Harmonious, that Harmonious. was it. Harmonious, not majestic. Harmonious. 
By the way, listeners, sorry just to interrupt Kim, if you do hear some strange noises in the background this week, it's because we have a pod guest in the form of Burdock, who is our friend's dog. Um, she's currently on her back, but you may hear some snuffling or whimpering at some point if we don't give her enough attention. Which there is no, thing, no such thing as enough attention for no. Burdock. So. <laughs> so, the wine. Yeah. Um, really interesting. Soft. Yeah, it's yeah, quite soft. soft. <laughs> Round. <laughs> it's not very round. Deep pan, crisp and even. Um, um, yeah, I'm going to keep drinking and see how I feel about the taste. But it's just, it's a really interesting colour. It's a very interesting taste. It does remind me slightly of the Ocapinti we had because that was that very light red as well, wasn't it? Without the That was the also cloying. a biodynamic yeah. vineyard. Biodynamic. <laughs> Alex, what do you think? Um, I've only ever had one other Czech wine in my life, as far as I'm aware, mm. which was from um, a wine bar last weekend, and it was very overpriced and gave me the worst hangover the next day. <laughs> um, but that was a white wine, and I actually enjoy this red more than I yeah, do the white wine. unusual. Did it give you the hangover because of the quality of the wine or the amount you drank? Mm. A bit of both. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. I'm pretty sure I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> Imagine if that was the feedback you gave during sex. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure. How are you finding I'm it? having a great time. <laughs> but I can carry on because I'm not sure yet. I'm very indecisive. What can I say? Um, yeah. Okay, right. Shall we crack on talking about Kimmy Schmidt? Yes. So for context for anyone who may not have seen it, although I am imagining if you're listening to this, you probably have. There is an episode in The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt in which one of the main characters, Titus, uh, creates a song about Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir! That's two. <laughs> and um, the song you would think would be about wine, but it is in fact an ode to black penis, in his words. That is true. So that's why we've got Pinot Noir this week. Um, but yeah, so Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, how would you describe it? I was trying to describe it to a work colleague today and... I couldn't figure out how to say it because I was saying, oh, you know, it's it's kind of like a sitcom. Um, it's it's really feel good. And then she was like, oh, but it's... And I said it was a kind of screwball comedy. Mm. And she was like, oh, but I really don't like things like Big Bang Theory. And I was like, it is nothing like Big Bang Theory. <laughs> well, I've never really watched it. And I was trying to find a comp, uh, like a comp because I was like, it's not, it's not like Friends in, you know, it's not that kind of semi-serious... It's, yeah. It's, it's definitely it's, more, like, comedic in the truest sense of the word. But then, uh, obviously, it does, yeah, wacky, but it does tackle quite big mm. I would describe subjects. it as slapstick for the heart. <laughs> Slap heart. Slap heart, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. Um, I mean, I but think... just kind of like, it's silly, it's kind of sometimes a bit on the nose, it's, um, but it... You know, it gives you the feels and you care about the characters and slapstick for the heart. It's larger than life and it's kind of, it's almost like a kind of magic realism because things happen in it that are bizarre, utterly ridiculous. Like we just watched the episode, um, one, Titus, again, one of the characters does a one man show about a geisha, um, which we'll come on to talk about later because it's actually one of the, the episodes that's criticised a lot. Um, and one of the characters has this moment of realisation and they just disappear into a, a 
a puff of smoke. Uh, yeah. Kind of like um, in it's Star like... Trek when they beam out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. She, there's more light than smoke. Mm. Yeah. It's like Apologies. she reaches enlightenment and ceases to exist. But then there are other very real things in there, like um, difficulty in relationships and people <laughs> being deported. And mm. yeah. So it's I mean, there's, there's a surreal setup from the start because it's based on a woman that was rescued from a bunker. Um, where surreal though it's a surreal is probably not the right word it's an extreme situation yeah it's to be honest neither of you so I'm quite new to Kimmy Schmidt and I have binged watched the hell of it yeah, the hell of it, the, the hell, hell of out it. of it. Why not binged um, watched for the last like month or so since we were speaking about doing this episode? Yeah, and um, I neither of you told me that that's where she comes from. So like the first episode, oh, right. I was like, "What <laughs> on earth is this? This is ridiculous! <laughs> like totally unexpected." Um, so I suppose for me, I was quite taken back. So <laughs> it was quite surreal in the moment. Yeah, and it's a concept. So the yeah the idea the the concept of the show is that there is a woman who is um, rescued from an underground bunker, where uh, where she has been kept with three other women in a kind of doomsday cult by a self-styled reverend, uh, who is played by John Hamm, um, and John I love John Hamm John Hamm so much um, in so many things but yeah he's very good at this, and then they're released uh, by they're found by the police and released after fifteen years in this bunker. Um, and then Kimmy, who is the main character, goes to start a new life in New York City. And it's on paper, you read, if you read a synopsis of a show like that, you'd be like, oh my God, it's going to be so bleak yeah. um, and serious. And it's not, but it's also not, it doesn't poke fun at what she went through. No. Or what people no. go through. It's more, it's it's about relentless optimism. Yeah. Mm. Um, she's so excited by yeah. the new world like that she has around her yeah plus it's really funny <laughs> it's really funny <laughs> and it has a really eclectic cast of characters um yeah and it's got a really good theme tune <laughs> unbreakable oh, God, love, damn it. stuck it's a miracle world. but yeah so it's written by um robert carlock and tina fey uh tina fey of course Ooh. is well known for writing the mean girls um screenplay none for gretchen wieners uh, <laughs> <laughs> and also 30 rock which i don't think either of you have seen have you no i've had very good things i've so. only seen you sending me <laughs> night cheese and <laughs> working oh, yes. on my night I cheese night cheese and lemon it's wednesday those are the two <laughs> things that you send to me obviously one of the mo- the only things that you've seen tina fey write is is mean girls or the adaptation of uh queen bees and wannabes wasn't it that was the book mm-hmm. yeah how did you think kimmy schmidt matched in terms of style because obviously she co-wrote it but i can still see similarities mm. i yeah it's the incredibly heavy like the the satire the and the comedy Mm. um but tackling quite serious things with comedy and a little bit of a little bit of suspension of disbelief is is kind of included there like i mean mean girls you have an also unusual backstory um (laughs) in which she grew up in africa and then has you know never heard a pop song never been to a proper high school yeah sort of stuff and um 
you have yeah you have that same kind of exposure to a new flashbacks and culture and and all sorts of things i think yeah i think thematically and tonally they are quite similar in that respect yeah i mean it's it's poking fun at the world that we live in yeah the satire the satire is strong in tina the satire is strong in this one yes um so yeah there is a lot of you don't always necessarily appreciate the satire because there's so many so many jokes and you kind of miss it sometimes but Mm. so alex how far through did you get roughly so i think i'm on series three okay maybe right so you've watched all of that in quite a short space of time Mm -hmm. when you first started watching i know you said you were surprised by the bunker thing Mm -hmm. what did you think of it other than being surprised by that did you like it at first was it um no it took me a while to get on board i think i think because I was surprised at the setup, I wasn't. I didn't know anything about it, and I don't. I think the title, "The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt," I I didn't even that gives me really no give much, insight into no. what it's about at all. Um, and I think I I think it was the typical loads of your friends rave about it, and then you sit down to watch it, and you don't connect to it straight away, and you're mm. like, "What on earth is this about?" Um, I think it's a very a specific type of humour. I mean, the fact that we were talking, uh, like Kim was saying, that she can't really liken it to any other series or comedy. Um, it just takes a while to adjust to it. Mm. Um, and that so that took me about four episodes, I think. And then I started to go, oh, okay, I kind of get what they're trying to do. Yeah. But it wasn't until the second series that I actually was like, okay, yeah. I enjoy this. Fair enough. Kim, how about you? So I was bullied by Sam into watching Kimmy Schmidt because <laughs> I feel like I was as well for, for about I, and I for your own good okay thank you I always knew that I'd watch it eventually but um, I, you know as I've mentioned before don't watch a whole lot of TV tend to read or um, re-watch things or I watch things with people um, and I think that I ended up watching the entire first season of Kimmy Schmidt when I had a very rare sick day a couple of years ago Um but I was bullied into it by Sam because she used every every Kimmy <laughs> moniker that Titus uses because he likes to do puns on her name. Uh, Kim Jong Un, yeah, Kim Possible, <laughs> Kimmy Savile. But oh he doesn't God. use that. That's one of mine. True. <laughs> That's a special one. Uh, just Sam speaking. just took the inspiration. There was another one though that Kimothy, you um, that you were really into for a while. Um, Gavin Kimber. Gavin Kimber. Oh yeah, yours, I think. Gavin Kimber. <laughs> uh justin kimberlake that was it justin kimberlake was 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 there for a while um so yeah eventually i decided to watch see what all the fuss is about (laughs) and i like i said i i rinsed it i think it's so colorful and uplifting and i mean that in the fact that all the clothes are very brightly colored it's a very bright it's a very bright very positive seeming show and i found it very very uplifting Especially that most of the time I'm watching or listening to sad, depressing things. True crime. So it was, yeah. So when I'm, when I do binge watch a series like that, it tends to be because it's uplifting. You know, see also Queer Eye. Um, I was struggling to liken it to something. Yeah. But I think it has a similar vibe as Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, yes, it does actually. Positive screwball, but serious. Yeah. I think there's a similarity as well to The Good Place. 
I have not yeah, watched The Good Place. I will. Actually. I will. Yeah. I'm Don't worry. Waiting. I won't. I won't bully you into that. <laughs> I love Kristen Bell. I'm waiting for the white right time. The white time. The white time. <laughs> what about you? No, no. <laughs> what about you, Sam? What was your like? So I watched it because I saw Tina Fey was doing something. I've been a big fan of hers. I've not seen a lot of uh, when she was on SNL. Um, so I've seen like the odd odd skit, but I never watched SNL religiously. So I watched it because I wanted to see what Tina Fey was doing and I loved 30 Rock. Um, the first season I watched and I was like, oh, it's not very good. I'm disappointed. I was disappointed with, with Kimmy Schmidt. Kimmy Schmidt season one. And I was like, eh, well, I watched it and... When the second season comes there's out, I'll watch it again. I yeah, and there's a lot of getting used to the characters because they are so extreme. Like yeah. Titus is extremely camp and extremely um, over dramatic, and Kimmy is extremely optimistic to the point where I found her very annoying in the first season. Mm. Um, and Jacqueline is just extremely um, disconnected from everything and privileged, and and so I didn't feel that emotional connection with them on the first season. But I did definitely feel that towards the second season. Um, I think when Mikey came into it, who is Titus's boyfriend. I love Mikey. Um, but one of the big criticisms of the show, it was, I think, generally uh, widely applauded and um, has got good ratings on Rotten Tomatoes and on IMDb and all these other kind of review sites. Uh, but one of the big criticisms was uh, the first few seasons, there was a, an issue with race, wasn't there? Mm. Um, so, And that is one of the first ways that I heard about it before I'd watched so it. So controversy rather was, than... Yeah, um, yeah. Through the eyes of um, LainyGossip.com, who, right. which is a gossip and entertainment site run by uh, a woman of Asian descent. I see. So, um, what did she say about it? The issue, so the main issue was that there's a character in the first season and in the second season called Dong, mm. uh, who is uh, a Vietnamese character who starts doing a GED class with Kimmy, um, and then they become lovers. But then he marries someone else uh, so that he can stay in the country and get like a green card marriage. Um, the problem that I think came up for a lot of people was that he. He's an American he uh, or an American born actor who speaks with an American accent normally, but put on a kind of stereotypical mm. Eastern Asian accent. I don't really, apart from like I suppose the accent. I I don't remember there being anything. Yeah, well, I mean, like the you name, know, I'm not I mean, Vietnamese. So the name like, Dong. The was name a Dong is is a joke. But it means money. Their, their currency yes, is Dong. but that's not what that's not why they chose to name him that. They chose to name him that because it's funny to white people to hear yeah, the word Dong. Yeah, but Kimmy means Willie in Vietnamese. So I don't know what comment, I'm guessing commenting that's true. on. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think as I understand it, the issue was it's the it, if you do it, it makes it, well. It's it's like what Tina Fey wrote and says in Mean Girls, like. If we keep calling each other sluts and whores, it makes it okay for them to call us, for guys to call us sluts yeah. and whores. Yeah. It's that, but with racism. If mm-hmm. if we, if um, people of colour, the argument is if people of colour are playing up to stereotypes in order to get roles. Then we will continue. Then not we, and, royally. you know, like pardoning it essentially by participating in it, then we shit white people. Mm. Um, 
will not learn. The other thing, there were a few other issues of the race. One is that um, the character played by Jane Krakowski, um, Jacqueline White, uh, is a character who is Native American by birth, mm-hmm. but has chosen to present herself as a white woman. Now, uh, Jane Krakowski is a Caucasian woman, and there was some criticism around the fact that they didn't choose a Native American actress. But then the joke wouldn't have worked. That's mm. That yeah. was my feeling on that. And I was like, because I understand she that... She completely whites herself up, basically. Yeah, she calls herself white, just yeah. like her surname she is white. blue and... contacts. And... Yeah. What, what did you guys think about that? I, every time that that comes up, I really struggle with it. And I struggled with it in particular when you meet her parents. Mm-hmm. And so the actor who plays her father yeah i i think i remember listening to something about this where his imdb credits are mostly native american man native american man scary native american man right like shaman blah 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 blah. and it's it's like his that's he's so typecast their characters are quite subversive of those stereotypes but i think you combine this actor with this familiar role of white shaman native american man blah 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 um with a you know a white woman saying you know supposedly being of native american descent and i just think the joke like what the comment there is going over most people's heads and i think most people don't get don't get the subversion there i think they just see it for what it is yeah and what it is is very problematic like that level is problematic yeah, if you look at it on one on one level it is i i really struggle with this casting malarkey that is a debate all the time and it's definitely a debate at work for me mm. all the time um you know one side they argue well you choose who's right for the role yeah it doesn't necessarily mean if they are themselves that uh from that culture that they're commenting on in the script mm. um but then in one argument it's like when people cast uh people that are presenting as dis- like disabled wheelchair users whatever it might be within films or plays and the like abled bodied or however you want to say it people um are cast in those mm. roles mm. and actually even if they might meet, be the best actor for the role, it's therefore limiting what uh, roles people and actors can play that are like wheelchair users mm, or yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, you know, we're already the the market of actors and performers that are kind of white, middle and upper class, uh, able-bodied, uh, intellectual like people getting these roles um we the market is so crowded anyway so why shouldn't uh the opportunity be open to everyone and if the more that we create these roles the more that the the industry will become more diverse mm. yeah so it's like it's a math it's a minefield and i really don't know the answer to it's, be honest yeah there is no straightforward answer i don't think because it's it's very easy to go right let's cast for example i'm going to go with the example of um black hermione in mm-hmm. uh, the cursed child 
the J.K. Rowling play, which is still in the West End, I think. Mm-hmm. And they went desperate with... to see it. Yes, um, and they went with the casting uh, of a uh, Black Hermione, despite the fact it's not mentioned in the books that she's black, but it's also not mentioned that she's white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and there was uproar about that because it was like it was made out to be this, um, almost a PR stunt, wasn't it? That mm. she was going to be black, and it was up in the inclusivity in in Harry Potter, and, and it's she like, was just well, because she was right for the role. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly. the yeah the. By having that uproar, it's assuming that the default is that anyone who is not white is automatically worse, and they only got in mm. on an inclusivity bias. Which is the same. Or the with... not commenting on race in the character profile mm. is automatically by default white. white. So, so coming back to Kimmy Schmidt, yeah, I suppose they are commenting on the race thing and well, have that's... purposely cast. Or they're also commenting on the race thing as jokes and and things like that. But the guy that was playing Dong, he was American, but he had Vietnamese family. Maybe I don't. know. I'm not sure of his. I'm actually not sure of his. Um, I don't I hate using the word heritage because it's like it's like when white people go, "Where are you from?" to someone who isn't white, and then they go, "Well, I'm from Crawley," Ugh. and then they go. Yeah, well, but, where are you from? But where are you from origin? Where are your parents from? And it's like that horrible accusatory white tone that because you're a different colour, you you, yeah. you can't be from yeah. here. Um, and they need to know how far back you weren't from here. But they do comment on this this idea of the, the race thing in Kimmy Schmidt because it is a very self referential show. Um, and we've spoken briefly about the satire in it, and we mentioned the episode where Titus uh, is a geisha. Um, so Titus believes he has lived all these past lives. One as a very sick parrot, one as a Frenchman who <laughs> nearly invented the raisin, and another as uh, Hamusaki, I can't remember her name, I'm sorry, um, who was a Japanese geisha. And he decides to put on a one man show about the life of this, of his one of his past lives, basically. And to do that, he dresses as a geisha, a woman, and um, puts on white face and and does this show and there's a whole thing on the internet where people get outraged that there's a, a black man playing an asian character and that it's going to be disrespectful and then the what happens is people go along to the show and they realize that oh actually no this is his version of his truth or whatever and, and they're touched by it mm-hmm. and then that's when that woman evaporates <laughs> um, <laughs> but that episode has been viewed as the writers and the producers not taking the issue seriously. Mm. Do you think it was a matter of it not being taken seriously, or do you think it was satire, which is I stand by all of it being satire. To be Mm. honest, I, 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 I mean, I'm not from that descent, but and like I didn't take offence to it. So, you know, like I'm not from various other groups of people and I can take offence to things that are sometimes portrayed in the media and stuff like that. Mm. Um, I think he was definitely, like, it's a comment. It is definitely a comment. Mm. And I think the fact that there was this big outrage by the community that then go watch him and then it's actually embraced. Mm. Um, and I don't think dealt with is like that bit is not the butt of the joke. Mm. The joke is almost. It's a joke on the set, the oversensitivity of people now, I think. Yeah, but but not necessarily on the race or the fact that he's a geisha or the fact that he talks no. about past lives or anything like that. But That's then, completely embraced and celebrated, almost. But then do you not think that 
that the butt of the joke essentially being the internet and i may have misinterpreted this but the the outrage culture but the knee-jerk reaction of oh i'm offended um do you think that is undermining people who have legitimate cause to be offended i i i think that it can be interpreted that way but i don't i don't think that that's the intense intent i think the point of the episode is to make you think critically about your own what it means to be offended what it means to be hypocritical Mm. what it means to argue that point over other points because there's other stuff going on in that episode as well that people are dealing with um and i think that it's it's more about it's not about being genuinely offended or looking at criticism or you know um taking legitimate (laughs) criticism and learning it's about knee-jerk reaction and outrage culture and essential like youtube comments and that kind of thing i think that kimmy schmidt is too smart for its own good on the very base level away from all satire because satire is something that tends to either go above people's heads and they get offended or they don't see the link or whatever not not all the time not all people but sometimes yeah that kind of outrage like it's like you're missing the entire point um but even on a comedic level and a writing level several reviews i read were like there are so many jokes in it you have to rewatch it like and not even like long drawn out jokes that span an episode but like like, read it as a script yeah because like if if it's like you know in like say performance poetry Mm. like you have to spell it out for people because Mm. it's over within a second and you've missed it so but if you've written a poem someone can reread it over and over again yeah but so like to in order like to completely get every single joke and understand where the writers are coming from we Mm. probably need to read a script well that's yeah that's exactly the point like you these just little throwaway comments that are in there like every three seconds there's Mm. a pun or a joke or something and i don't get all of them because it's a lot of them are about american culture that i don't understand Mm. and that's just telling a joke the very basic principle of telling a joke whereas when you are trying to draw a parallel with something and trying to parody something and whatever it's no wonder people question the world like that we live in yeah so i do agree with this it's too clever for its own good thing i think it tries it it does force a lot in there um and it does make it enjoyable but it does also make it you have to rewatch it i've rewatched it four times wow um not every season i've only seen season four once but season one i've seen over and over again and i still i started watching it today again and i was like just got that joke just got that joke (laughs) yeah yeah also i i viewed it when you told me about it as a kind of i'm watching like i'm making the dinner and i'm pottering around the house background noise and um so i missed some gems but also i probably missed some gems that were then referenced later on as well and maybe that's also why i didn't get on with the first season because I was definitely watching it as background noise and I yeah. needed to pay more attention yeah. to it. And you don't think you need to pay attention to it because no, it seems because it's so light, colourful light, fluffy and bu- thing. Like bubbly and, and yeah, it's there's not. this surprising level of depth. And I love that because it's that's the yeah. subversiveness of it. Yeah. And I think that that is a way that's that like big ideas get into people's minds mm-hmm. and it happens very, very slowly and I love it. And it's simple things like that or like 
I look at things like Stranger Things, which is a huge cultural phenomenon, and at the centre of it is a teenage girl. Yeah. yeah. Like, little things like that. Just... It, it's just really smart and it's it, why it, I think en- yeah. entertainment is so fucking important yeah. it plants a fluffy seed in all of our minds <laughs> I don't think Stranger Things plants anything fluffy but well, yes, it, yes. It, it plants well fluffy in terms of yes teenage girls fluffy, I think it's fluffy in terms of you don't realise it's there until yeah. you think about it yeah yeah. Um, we have reached the bottom of our wine mm-hmm. we have what did everyone think I I very much no i liked it it was not uh i don't really have a lot to say about it it was fine it was okay it... i think one of the tasting notes for the the vineyard as a whole was like mm. bright refreshing like, or something re- no like really intense sort of bold flavors mm. and i don't think of it as a bold flavor i think it was quite soft and quite surprising yeah very easy drinking a little bit kimmy schmitty actually yeah. because it <laughs> yeah. was it was interesting and and you know it's interesting and smart and really flavorful complex but it's unassuming yeah i think it's an unassuming pinot noir and it's one of the things i like about pinot noirs so i oh my god i can't i can't (laughs) you say that without having that like i desperately tried not to sing it just then but it's going mental in my head so yes no it was it, yeah I agree it was a good pairing with the topic Alex how about you I really enjoyed it actually good mm. um it's not a very uh dry red like it is oaky but it's not my usual suck all the moisture out of my mouth kind of red it yeah um, yeah a lot of I, reds feel like they leave a coating on the inside of your mouth and this one it does no, not have it that was, it, was a, it was a white yeah. wine of the red world I mm. feel again like the Occupinti yeah. yeah and Pinot Noir is one of those ones um where I I drink it occasionally and usually when I'm sort of oversaturated with too much Malbec and I need <laughs> I need something just a bit refreshing it's a, it's a summer wine it is, yeah. um, it's also it's got again. a good thumb it's got a good bottom has it it's got a good I mean feel that Let bottom that bottom oh that's deep <laughs> I mean yeah. half your thumb has disappeared so and I've got nail extensions oh, well, so yeah, there you go. that's uh, it's very nice let me let me put my stumpy thumb up there stumpy thumb Oh, almost disappears. Got most of Alex's <laughs> So if you subscribe to the bottom thumbing rule of wine drinking, uh, this is a good choice. It's a good one. Yeah, um, I have quite enjoyed it. What would you say if I told you the price was? I Can we guess the price? Yes. Oh, oh fun okay. game. Yes, fun okay. game. Go for it. I reckon £18. Okay, Alex? I'm going to go for £26.95. Okay. Well, first of all, Wolf Wine always do round numbers. Uh, well, obviously, I'm not the person that usually buys the wine. <laughs> it was £23. Okay, so bang in the middle of what we both said, mm-hmm. essentially. I asked for, when I went in, I said, I need a Pinot Noir that's less... Did you less... explain why? Uh, yeah, they already know. Did you know sing this song? About... But did you, like, explain? <laughs> no, I said that it was thematic. I said I was doing a podcast that was thematically linked <laughs> to Pinot Noir. It was a... so much more intellectual than it was a new person. It was a new person. I didn't. Oh, was it not Beardy McKean pants? And I, no, and oh. I was really tired, and I was just like, I need a Pinot Noir. So for twenty three pounds, what do you think? I do not think it was worth twenty three. I would. I would spend twenty three on it. Really? Yeah. I would be very happy if I paid twenty three pounds in a restaurant. I guess a different economy, I feel. <clears throat> but I, it would put me off buying it again, even though I really liked it. Uh, I, I would, I, I'd... I wouldn't buy it for like you know an evening in with just me and the boy. But <laughs> if I had friends oh. round for dinner, 
and I needed a red wine to go with whatever the I was cooking. vegan red wine. <laughs> yes. Um, mm. Then I would I would go and buy it. If I was cooking a, a meal that was recommended to be paired with a Pinot Noir, this might be, like, for, for people, this might be one that I would choose. Go go with but a cup I, of mm, Yeah, it mm. would. I have a favourite Pinot Noir, though, um, which I was going to try and get for this episode, but they don't sell it in Facebook's. But I have really thoroughly enjoyed it. Also, I really love the label. I keep staring at it. The one you spilt wine on. Yeah, the one I spilt yeah. on. Oh, I thought that was part of the label. <laughs> no. And that's Kim's Artful Edition. Oh. It is pretty. It's a very subtle label, isn't it? Give it a pop of colour. This is pop my first Pinot Noir, as far as I'm aware. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, unless someone's just handed you some and you've been like, yeah, it's exactly. fine. Yeah, a party yeah. at some point. So we're going to take a short break now. Uh, but before we do, I think we all need to say the magic word of tonight, which is... Pinot Noir! And we're back! Hello! On to Pinot Noir! Pinot Noir! Number two. It's like I have backup singers, it's amazing. (laughs) Okay, so this is uh, Sainsbury's Taste the Difference, um, Valle de Aconcagua. Pinot Noir Grand Reserva, Wine of Chile 2017. Chile? Chile! Chile. <laughs> Chile. Um, fragrant raspberry and red cherry notes, well structured with velvety smooth tannins. Mm. I've never heard of a wine being described as well structured before, so this will be interesting. This is going to be a mouth coater, I reckon. Yeah. Um, full description on the back. Um, smooth and mellow, light and elegant with juicy red fruit, red fruit flavors. Red fruit. Red fruit. <laughs> red fruit flavors. Um, say it three times fast. Poultry game, paired with poultry game or mild cheeses. Um, a light-bodied Pinot Noir with enticing raspberry and red cherry flavours, mm-hmm. combined with well-integrated oak notes. This wine is made with grapes sourced from cool climate vineyards in the Aconcagua Valley. <laughs> um, look, if I say it in a silly voice... If you're going to say it in a silly voice, commit to the silly voice. Where fresh ocean breeze, breezes moderate the temperature, creating ideal growing conditions. The pioneer Don Max... Maximiano Erazuruzes 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 That lad, are you drunk? It's cider Founded the winery in 1870 and today his descendants strive to build his legacy of creating award winning wines delicious with rich game dishes Um, Cheers Cheers Bit of a darker one Racist Oh hang on, what's that smell? Ooh. It's very thick. It's a coater. It is a coater. It's a coater, this one. A coater de It's like like a uh, cow pole kind of thick. Oh, Ooh, heavens. Yes. All the flavours are at the front of my mouth. Yeah, all the flavours are in the other wine. <laughs> <laughs> so, we've discussed some of the problems in Kimmy Schmidt. There are also others which we may get onto, but on a more, let's say, superficial level. Let's be Uh, positive, like Kimmy. Let's think positive. Uh, Who were your favourite characters in the show and why? I love Lillian. (laughs) Run, Lillian! (laughs) I love her. I think think she's kind of weirdly, like, clinging on to her kind of, like, identity in some kind of weird way, even though she's a crazy, batty woman. Um... I I think she's actually weirdly one of the more real characters. Um, really? Yeah. Just because I don't know. I believe I believe her. Some of them I don't believe, 
but I believe her. I believe someone could be that person. She Whereas has I don't an feel authenticity. Like be, yeah, I yeah. don't feel like that someone could be Kimmy. I don't, I, as much as I'm an optimistic person, I don't feel that someone could be that optimistic. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and of course, Titus. You just want him in your life. But he's not an admirable character. I'm not saying I don't love him, but he's very flawed. I love yeah, Titus. I love him. I love Titus, but I would find him exhausting if he were my friend. Oh, uh, yeah. I think Titus is, is kind of an obvious, amazing... He's the breakout star of, of Kimmy Schmidt in many ways. And he's, he's incredible and I love him and he's the most quotable and hilarious. But I would definitely struggle to be... To maintain a friendship with Titus. But I would also struggle to maintain a friendship with Kimmy. So there you go. Yeah, I found her a bit too exhausting. I, I um, also really enjoy um, what's her name? The other old woman, Mimi old woman. Mimi is it, it, Mimi. She makes me chuckle. She's yeah. played by oh, what's her name? Amy Sedaris. Yeah, um, who is a comedy legend and Love yeah, us. yeah, she is fabulous. I I have a, I also love Lillian. I was thinking that like I think she's great, but again, I think I would struggle to know her. As mentioned earlier, Mikey is a cinnamon roll that we must protect at all costs. Oh, I do like and him. And I just actually he's my love the most real. He's so he's one of the most down to earth. Yeah, cute. Um, I also have a weird soft spot for uh, Jackie's daughter, uh, Jacqueline's daughter. Oh, stepdaughter. Yeah, Zanfippi. Zanfippi. I oh I gosh, just yeah. as she gets older, like when you see a little bit more of her, and I just I like how I feel like her character is really well crafted. Uh, really well written really well crafted like and really well acted actually. really well acted yeah, because not many people would be able to do she she ha- kind of has these throwaway lines where she's showing her personality and she cares and, and what she cares about and like her her truth and she does it in a way that's so subtle yeah and i think that you could it would be really really easy to over egg that and yeah. i so i I think there might be more that I apparently really like the actress more than the character, but yeah, bratty teenager can be teenager can be really easy to like you say over. Yeah, you can really ham it up. Yeah, but she does it. She gives it depth. Well, she's yeah. got layers like an onion, like an onion. <laughs> she's Shrek. <laughs> so obviously, I love Titus. Titus is great. Titus is fake. But um, no, my favorite character in the whole thing actually is a character played by Tina Fey. Uh, no, <laughs> she is my least favorite. Character. I love her she because is she is me. Fa- oh, she's my least favorite, <laughs> and I feel awful because I love Tina Fey, but she really annoys me. Sorry. Stop being licked by the dog. <laughs> Engage with our conversation. I'm sorry. We're debating. We are debating. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a character played by Tina Fey in season two or three. Season th- three, I think. No, it's, no two. it's two. She's back it's two. two. She's definitely and then back, she's back in three. In three. Um, uh, here is Andrea, 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 whatever, the, however you want to pronounce it, who is uh, Kimmy's therapist. But she doesn't come into it as Kimmy's therapist. She comes into it when Kimmy is being an Uber driver and she picks up a drunk lady um, who turns out to be Andrea. And she kind of lives this double life where she's an absolute mess by night drinking vodka Go breaking in day. breaking into day. her ex's house. Yeah, it kind of gets that way. Breaking into her ex's house, trying to steal his dog, 
realizing that it's not actually where he lives anymore. <laughs> um, and then by day, she's a very well respected um, therapist who runs the marathon and does all these things. Mm. Um, I just, I just really enjoyed her. I mm. thought she was great. But then maybe that's because oh. I was like, it's Tina Fey. I I agree. I I do really enjoy her character. And that note when she sorry when she leaves herself that note in her pocket when she's sober that just says please don't get drunk tonight you've got to finish the book <laughs> and that's when I was like oh yeah 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 you yeah, have to do that um, I was also just thinking whilst you were talking I was trying to think of like other characters because I in all TV shows and all everything I always have a soft spot for like side characters and mm. underdogs mm-hmm. I like what's his name um, the guy. Who owns Giz Tube? Is oh, that... the the like um, Asperger's guy. Yeah, yeah, I just love him. You probably haven't met him yet. Yeah, oh, okay. he's in the end say, of season know. three and mo- all of uh, season four. No, I don't know him. Um, and I because I've been watching. I watched season four in preparation. Like I sort of caught up and made sure that everything that I knew where I was. And I just, I just love him because there's there was a line in the penultimate episode where he just goes I remember everything that's ever happened to me it's awful <laughs> I was just like <laughs> I love you <laughs> because it, oh, I just I just think he's so funny he's so deadpan yeah and I know that that's you know because it's supposed to be because of his Asperger's but like he it's played perfectly well no one is mocking his um behavior no one is mocking his asperger's it's just funny like it's just funny because he's funny he's a funny character he's a funny person and what he's saying the way that he says it is very clever and because also he means well and is most of the time and is doing well most of the time and i i think he's a a brilliant like tertiary character yes um and i especially like so the reason that he he ends up he hires Kimmy to be the head of his HR because she has emotional intelligence and he says that he he's like I I can't relate to people on that level I need someone to be emotional intelligence and I recognise that that's what you have because Kimmy inspired him to start his company essentially so he feels like he owes her um, and I. I liked that ep- that whole episode about emotional intelligence quite a lot. And um, as someone who works in HR and has <laughs> a hefty amount of emotional intelligence or so, I like to believe, um, I kind of liked that aspect, obviously, like being respected for that. But then I also liked that there was, I don't know, I just feel like he had more to him about that than, than really he even realised. Basically... I felt like I could go off on a little monologue and, and watch a show about him that would be not The Big Bang Theory it because The Big Bang Theory is terrible, but it would be, like, heartwarming and lovely and he's a, you know, like, yeah. just interesting character that I really enjoy. And I love me a side character. Mm. Is there a... Do you have a favourite joke or a favourite line from it that you can remember? I don't think I'm well-versed enough in it Fair to enough. have that... I'm sure that if I rewatched it again, I could I could throw them at you. Mm. Um, aside from the oft quoted, but I already did something today, <laughs> which I just is my life. It is is definitely my life today. Um, yeah, I, I can't think of anything 
immediately but let me mull it over whilst you talk about yours Titus does have some great lines and those are the ones I tend to remember and one of the ones I love is I'm pretty but tough like a diamond or beef jerky in a ball gown (laughs) 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 I thought that was a well crafted joke and I enjoyed it (laughs) there are so many well crafted jokes I think yeah I I binged watched so I need to go back over before I choose a favourite joke so we have talked about some of the uh, issues with race within the show. This is obviously a feminist podcast. I'm not saying that race doesn't, or problems with race don't aren't intersectional. That's because yeah, that's we, what we, we do. We are very hard to be intersectional, but um, also yes, but also one of the things the show is celebrated as is is a feminist show because it's about the indomitable spirit of women. It's about uh, strong female characters breaking out from relying on men such as in the case of Jacqueline where she learns to stand on her own two feet um do we think would you agree that Kimmy Schmidt is a feminist show and if so why if not why not yes I do believe it is it is a feminist show it has problems it has problems with being a white feminist it has problems with being occasionally confused um but i think that you know as discussed earlier education is part of of bettering oneself like you you have to learn these things no one is perfect no one gets it right and you have to have that conversation and it is a show that is obviously trying to unpick that it's obviously trying to look at feminism look at race relations and gender relations and trying to improve on itself and learn um and i think especially the premise behind it you know kimmy's unbreakableness at its core is that she was never broken in she was never broken by the person who kidnapped her she suffered damage and had trauma and went through a terrible experience um but she was not less of a person because of that and even if she had been broken she would not have been less of a person which is also a point that she makes it's just very much that she is still a whole person and she is still able to be who she who she is at her core and her life was not her whole argument is that her life should not be defined by the thing that happened to her i think it's a feminist show and i think that it tackles some important issues the the last season tackles a lot of big things including learning that you can be part of the problem um kimmy faces accusations of inappropriate behavior inappropriate workplace behavior around um, harassment because of her attempt to do the right thing um, and then she recognises in herself that what she did was inappropriate and cross boundaries. She doesn't try to excuse that. She just acknowledges it. Yeah. Um, which I think is a hard, that was a hard episode to do and I think that they managed to do it quite well. Yeah. Uh, but I also think that there are problems that it has Again, it's part. I think it falls prey to the too smart for its own good. It can go over your head if you have a knee jerk reaction, yes. and I did. 
to one of the episodes but before i talk about it i'll let you answer about whether you think it's a feminist show um i would yeah i would agree that i think it is fundamentally because it's about women overcoming adversity uh not even necessarily in an aggressive way it's or a even a a life-changing or societal altering way even just little things in their day-to-day lives which is all any of us can really ultimately hope for and you know everyone making small changes should make a big difference um thank you mm-hmm. but i agree there are problems i think one of the problems for me was in the later sorry sorry done now okay <laughs> one of the problems for me was in the last season season four and this is something that i think has been picked up is that it kind of um jumped jumped on is not the right word but it addressed the times up movement and the uh me too movement but it did it through a typical kimmy schmidt way which is that it did it through this kind of casting couch situation that titus finds himself in mm. with a puppet from the from sesame street um and he's asked to do these sexual favors for a puppet in order to get the part um and he becomes um no he becomes kind of embroiled in this uh debate with himself as to whether he should come forward and talk about it because other people are talking about it and whether he will be known forever as a victim or whether he should keep quiet and define his own way of like define himself by his actions not someone mm. else's um and my problem with that is yes it's addressing this issue this issue in a metaphorical way i guess but i don't like the fact that it felt rather than sacrifice the comedy of the show it had to like to, to not sacrifice the comedy aspect of the show it had to use a man to tell that story mm. and i felt that was a bit I don't know I just it felt like a bit of a cop-out um in terms of how vocal it has been about female issues and the whole thing throughout and yeah um obviously I haven't seen the fourth uh season so I can't really comment on that I think I've weirdly seen a couple of episodes or like one episode that has the Sesame Street puppet maybe so it There's, was round so it, it it calls back the Sesame uh, Street episode happens when he gets back from the cruise ah uh, um, yeah of course that's where I've seen it yes and then, and oh, then so it, it comes, comes up because people are trying okay. to form a case against Mr okay, Frumpus the I puppet see. um I suppose in a completely light-hearted way of discussing whether Kimmy Schmidt is feminist um as a TV program, I mean, it centres around a female character that doesn't just talk about her relationships with men. Mm. Um, so, Tick, mm-hmm. um, and written by a woman, mm-hmm. like, great, Tick. Um, I think also feminism isn't just about, like, women, which we've spoken about quite a lot. It's about equality and it's about, you know, uh, being able to be completely yourself in a world that's completely equal and I think the characters as much as they're like crazily portrayed and this world that they've created is like in some weird time loop or whatever it is or wherever they are um you know they're just at the core of it 
they're completely themselves. Yeah. And they don't shy away from that. They are completely who they are and I therefore think that represents feminism. There is another episode though that I again in the fourth season where I I had that knee jerk reaction and I had a problem and it's the one it's the fake documentary episode about Reverend Wayne Richard Wayne Gary Wayne yeah. yeah um where it's 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 essentially like a making a murderer yes. about him and how he was framed and how he didn't do it he didn't lock them in the bunk he didn't assault them he didn't do this he didn't do that and he's innocent and yeah. it's all and that actually Kimmy's in love with him and what? she's just lying because she's a scorned woman. Yeah, they do this mockumentary featuring DJ Fingerblast. Ah, and it is yeah. obviously satire, but it it's it's eerily it was believable. Too, yeah, it was exact. That's exactly right. It was too. I was too convinced that people would believe it, and it it really, really, I really struggled with that episode. And I really struggled with going back to Kimmy Schmidt after that episode, just because it really, it made me really angry. And because I could see, I could see people believing that. Because I think it was around the time that I was watching it, I'm sure that I was also listening to or watching some story unfold and it's, it's gone out of my head now. It was about, it was related to Me Too and one of the celebrity cases in there and there was a lot of, um, it wasn't a, no, it wasn't a celebrity, I think it was an author had, um, a, one of the hor- uh, repercussions of the Me Too movement in the publishing industry is that a lot of authors have been outed for being shit people. Um, and, but that was coming to a head at that point though, because there was a quite a big sort of breaking of silence in the publishing industry late last year, um, in the middle of last year. And it was around then and the language that was coming out there and it was being swept under the rug. And I mean, one of these authors got to keep their tenure at university and all this sort of stuff. And I, I was just... It felt like we were on the precipice of all of this being for naught, like everything getting swept back under the rug. Mm -hmm. And then I watched that episode and thought, all it takes is someone to do that in earnest about... Not Harvey Weinstein because everyone's already sort of... Except... But like (laughs) Kevin Spacey or... um, Aziz Ansari. Aziz Ansari. Yeah, exactly. Aziz Ansari or any any number of these people. I mean, people that are already making a comeback. Um, C.K. Um, Louis C.K. Louis C.K., that's it. Sorry, brain is really gone today. Um, but they're already making comebacks, and I thought all it takes is one person to make that argument. And these... The people in this fake documentary, in this episode, some of them are intelligent. You know, some of them are characters that we know and love Mm. um and i it it got me thinking about the louis ck thing and sort of sarah silverman's comments around it and i think even maybe tina fey's comments around it and then i just thought oh god we're so 
it's too easy it's too easy to go backwards and mm-hmm. yep. it just got i think it got me really I scared mean, again look at the obama um administration followed by the trump administration it's mm. easy to slide back um i yeah i agree that was a that was a tricky episode because you like even watching it and it was very well done because you were like it even made me start to doubt things about the characters that I'd watched for three and a half years. And it's like, God, that shouldn't be that easy. Mm. It's all in the edit. Mm. <laughs> all of these stories are all in the edit. Yeah, like, I mean, thanks to the editing of producer Holly, we sound really smart. Yeah. So... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Occasionally. Occasionally. I've edited out the bits where Alex dribbles on herself. But not you the parts where I mispronounce wine. <laughs> <laughs> but not the parts where I mispronounce all the wines. Well, because then we, we're left with nothing. We're just like, we're drinking wine, which is... <laughs> I'm just dubbing our voice going, La Baronne! <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, we need to hire some famous voice actor to say it properly and then we'll like splice it in over the top. Maybe not Kevin. Yeah. I mean, if that's in the budget, yeah. then go for it. But I think that's the show being feminist on a different level. I think that's more than just the characters overcoming adversity. That's the show creators addressing... <laughs> something and Mm. yeah speaking of overcoming adversity how's everyone finding the second wine this is drunk making wine this is headache kim looks like she's genuinely struggling with this which i've never seen kim do on a red wine but then she's insanely tired i'm very tired and there was a lot of wine consumed over the last two days um heavy wine no merlot thank god but (laughs) <laughs> God a lot of Rioja was drunk and um, this Pinot Noir is is a heavy one it, despite the fact that it's supposedly very light bollocks a light bodied it's not I don't believe spicy right I've been a copywriter for several years and I don't believe the people that write the copy on these bottles ever have ever tasted it. the wine or yeah. know what they're talking about I think they just have a spreadsheet of wine words and then mush them together and go, ah, one of those will work. I mean, (laughs) I write copy for plays and I don't even know what the play is yet. Yeah, and you're inventing it half the time. You just make it up. This is a book about... You put some fancy words together, you sound clever, (laughs) it sounds like, you know, whatever. Yeah, like there is, there must be some sort of wine thesaurus where you're like, "Mm, how can I say clotty? Uh, <laughs> synonyms for clotty synonyms if you have synonyms for clotty oh um, don't send them to me <laughs> um, sanguineous <laughs> the wine that we are drinking is very spicy it is heartburn inducing I think on a cold winter's night I might be into it if this were, this would be good tonight. wine for mulling and putting More a like shit ton of other stuff having in. Having with roasted chestnuts. Mm. It would be incredible hot. in a stew. Cooking wine. Is that what we're saying? Mm. But like really good cooking wine. Like thick. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, think. How much was this again? Eight pounds. Okay, fine. Mm, like, it's a bad. bit high. I mean, I've had red for less that's been better. I but... forgot to mention no, this is obviously vegan. Difference. Oh, right, yeah. This is vegan, the other one's vegan. Or vegan. Oh my god, I thought you had to say the other one wasn't. <laughs> Too late now. Great. <laughs> pretty sure, pretty sure it's vegan. Um, yeah, I forgot to mention that. Basically, assume that if Alex is drinking it, it is vegan. Yeah. Um, Resident vegan. Rosie Yeah, it's it's not a bad wine. 
I'm just I'm I'm not loving it no so yeah it's complicated it's a complicated wine no it's not even that complicated it's just a bit crap but (laughs) so with that in mind I think that brings us to a good point um, of wrapping up this evening's show so let's talk about the Czech uh, Pinot Noir that we had at the beginning what did we think of that? I really enjoyed it. I also really enjoyed it. I'm ignoring the price point in my evaluation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought it was fine, so I'm gonna give it. Like it was just, it was just like. I would never go. Oh my god, that red, that biodynamic. <laughs> what does biodynamic? I don't mean? know. It, to me, it's just. Does it just mean like organic and recyclable? Recyclable. Recyclable. I mean, all, all wine is recyclable. That's no, where okay. it comes well, yeah. from. Shall, shall we, but like in terms of yeah. like it's it's green in its making. Yeah, we've said it a lot. Like bio. Yeah, I don't know. I I feel like it's one of those words where it's like I know what it means, but I couldn't tell you. I I've no idea. What it means. I think it just sounds like it's biodynamic green. agriculture is a form of alternative agriculture, very similar to organic farming, but it includes various esoteric concepts drawn from the ideas of Rudolf Steiner. Blah, blah, blah. Ah, Organic agriculture movements treat soil, fertility, plant growth and livestock care as ecologically interrelated tasks, emphasising spiritual and mystical perspectives. Um, So now we know the meaning of biodiverse wine, which it's taken us two bottles of biodiverse wine to work out. So I will give the uh, Czech Pinot Noir... Um, I think I'm going to give it a three. I I just don't think I'd actively seek it out again, especially not for the price point. What about you guys? So once again, just just this is the Vinarstvi Krasna Hora Pinot Noir, and I've said that differently every time. Um, 2017. I think I agree. Three grapes. Three. I think it's perfectly fine. Alba, I'm gonna give three point five. Ooh, shit the bed. I would I would spend that money on it, and that is something coming from me. Yeah, your tastes are getting expensive now. Um, I'm converting Alex to red wine slowly but surely. We were, and I have done this before with white wine drinkers. I, think I would might, never. I would never go into. I, a, I would never talent. go into a restaurant and secret order talent. secret talent. Ah. <laughs> Why are you bouncing up and down? Because I'm very excited to be secretly converting <laughs> to red wine. I would, subversive. I would never go into a pub and order a red wine. I would yet, order yet. a red wine at a restaurant if I was eating something that I thought you don't matched. eat red meat. No, but a beetroot would go well Ooh. with a red wine. If I felt a food paired well with okay. um, a red wine, then I would buy it in a restaurant. I Actually, I also have been known to buy a glass of red wine on a winter's night when I've gone to the pub. As a warming... It's a slippery yeah. slope, Alex. I mean, I think you should just admit... Well, if it's winter, it probably is. <laughs> well... Anyway, 3.5 grapes for the tasty okay. red in the back. 3.5, 3, 3. And the second Pinot Noir, which was the uh, special Sainsbury's bean. Um, Sainsbury's the... taste difference. Valley of Aconga. In Chile. Um, allegedly light-bodied. Valle de Aconcagua. The allegedly light-bodied Pinot Noir. With its um, well-structured, velvety smooth tannins. It's tannin-rific, isn't it? It's it is. So I mean, it is well-structured. No, it's not a word. Because it's fucking strong as shit. But I'm not a huge fan, and I, I don't know mm. if it's the wine's fault or if it's just that 
I'm done. <laughs> this may be the wrong day for you. But it's... I... Right, it's... It's a B on the full bodied scale, mm. which is one up from light, and I feel that's a what? lie. No, that no, is this a lie. Is at least a C. It yeah. like its dryness is like had a hug around my larynx. Like that is just not good. That sounds comforting. That's a mm. gross way of putting anything. Well, throttled. <laughs> throttled by wine. The Alex story. <laughs> I'm gonna go with two point five. No, two grapes. I'm going yeah, two grapes. Right. I. I'm not against spending £8 on a wine if I know I like it. And I'm certainly not against spending £8 on a Pinot Noir if I know I'm going to like it from the supermarket. And I am unlikely to ever pick this wine again. Yeah, me too. I'm going to go with the same as you. Two. I'm going to go for two. Two. I wouldn't I wouldn't buy it. It's exactly how I always think reds are. Yeah. it's uh, For people who don't like red, this is the red that you don't like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what do we think about the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? Three. Hmm. Any elaboration or just three? Um, I'm going to give it a three. I really enjoyed the character. Like, at first, not so sure. Then enjoyed the characters. Enjoy the feels that it gives me. Um, like I said, I just think it's it's a weirdly truthful representation of the world in its crazy slapstick way a microcosm um, of the world yeah. yes and it's nothing like i've watched before and it made me laugh made me chuckle made me happy before made me chuckle all the synonyms of the laughing um i'm thinking okay um i'm trying to think because i don't rate tv shows in the same way that i rate books quite often but you can on netflix you see i know but i don't <laughs> um i only rate the ones because really i'm like. one of those terrible people that piggybacks off someone else's netflix and i don't <gasps> you're parasite number two who? i don't who who do you who? my brother-in-law <gasps> i have my own little login and everything but i don't understand how it anyway so yes yeah, so i was trying to think of what shows i would rate at five and sort of yeah, reverse engineer from there. So Veronica Mars is a five star show because I love it. Never watched it. You are very evangelical about Veronica oh, Mars. I love it, it's so great. Marsh. Um, and then yeah. I think Grey's Anatomy is somewhere up there as well <sighs> because I, I love it. Never but I also it. think it's it's powerful. Stranger Things again is probably quite Love high Stranger up there. Things. Vegan things. And I don't feel that <laughs> quite that way about Kimmy, but I do feel good about Kimmy. It's somewhere between three. It's three point five or four, I'm at, and I can't figure out which. Okay, do you want to mull? And I'll. I'm gonna mull that over. Like the wine should Much be. Much like the mull wine. Mull like the wine yeah. should be. I mean, I'm burping a lot, and it's not even fizzy. <laughs> I'm not really sure why. Um, maybe it was the McDonald's. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna give it a three point five. I do like. I I love it, and I love pockets of it intensely. Um, like the Titus Lemonade episode um, yeah it's primarily that one no there are lots of others and I love Andrea and the the straight moments in it as well um, straight meaning not comedy not I don't not. like the gay bits <laughs> um, so for me yeah 3.5 I think because there are still some problems and I did take a while to get into it and I wasn't sure about it to start with and I still think there are some problems so yeah I think you've just articulated what my brain is failing to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, 
well done bravo <laughs> this is why you're the alpha <laughs> um when did we decide this we decided I you decided. weren't involved you're not the alpha okay, many <laughs> eons ago 3.5 yeah 3.5 grapes from me sam you articulated it beautifully my brain is fried it has a lot of problems my brain and kimmy schmidt um <laughs> it has a lot of problems it has a lot of good in it and it is ultimately something that has left me with more of a good feeling than a bad feeling but not an evangelical feeling mm-hmm so those were our feelings on the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. If you have different feelings or you agree with us, please let us know. We are on Instagram or we are at Grape Culture Podcast. On Instagram, you can also see pictures of Burdock, who has been our podcast friend. And you may have heard me cooing out at various points throughout the episode. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter where we are at Grape Culture Pod or on our website, which is www.grapeculturepodcast.co.uk. Don't forget to come back in two weeks' time where we will have a brand new topic to talk about. And I think next time it's going to be all about hair. Is that right, Kim? Me, and my hair and I. Me, my hair and I, which is a book by a person. Elizabeth who Benedict. That one. So come back in two weeks to hear us talk about that and our feelings on hair and female beauty standards. So thank you for listening and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.